belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for November 26, 2023 is called A Very Different Kind of King, Christ the King Sunday. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Central United Methodist Chapel in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, thanks for being here. If you're listening on the podcast, watch it on the live stream. My name is John Ray, and this is Grace Church. We're really glad you're here. So, um, Granted, I am a newbie to this whole thing of following the liturgical calendar. How many of you grew up doing that? Someone kind of? Yeah. Baptist. No, didn't. Um, with that. And one of the main attractions to me um, is having a way of marking the seasons and and getting into the story of the liturgical calendar. I, I like that. I like a different way of imagining seasons and time other than just sports and um, school and things like that and shopping, things like that. I like another way to do that. Um, and I really like being attached in a way to something that is ancient. I like, I like being rooted in something that has been practiced by generations and generations of people. So you can imagine my surprise being a newbie like this, that um, we came to Christ the King Sunday, and I was like, all right, let's do that. And so I started doing a little research. And this is a relatively new day in the liturgical calendar. This has only been around for less than a century that they've marked Christ the King calendar on the thing. We're going to talk about why that is as we get into this. But what we're going to do this day, this day that we celebrate Jesus as the King. We talk about Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus our friend, Jesus the Son of God, all these things. And But King Jesus is a dominant theme, a dominant name, a dominant designation for Jesus. But what we're going to quickly see as we look into this, that Jesus is a king like no other. As a matter of fact, Jesus redefines the very meaning of the word. And I, by redefined, I've been thinking that Jesus is the kind of king that kings were always supposed to be. We look at Jesus and go, wow, how different is that than normal kings? Like, No, 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 I think we got it backwards. I think Jesus is the normal king. And everything else has been an aberration. And in a world clamoring for a king who will exert power, even violence on our behalf, following Jesus as king requires an inspired imagination, a very different set of expectations, and intentional developing practices. There is no official text for today, and as I was thinking about it, I thought, what is, what is the one thing that exemplifies Jesus more than other, any other in the scripture? And there's lots of verses about laying down in Revelation, people laying down their, their crowns and worshiping and doing things like that. But my mind went to John 13, 6. And this is in the night before Jesus is betrayed, the Last Supper. It says, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing now, but you will understand after all these things. So on the surface, we see this idea of Jesus as king watching feet. He's a servant leader, and reams, countless reams of things have been written about servant leadership, especially in the business world. 
But what really struck me was that last part of the line. He says, you do not understand what I am doing now, but you will understand after these things. After a while, you will understand these things. I'm not so sure, y'all. I'm really not sure, even after all this time, that we do understand what Jesus was doing and what it meant that Jesus was doing. I mean, this kind of feels like a personal challenge to me as I read it. It's like, I want to understand what it is. And I think it's, I think it's especially important for us as a church to understand what these things mean. After all that we've seen and experienced, after all the scholarship, all the history, all the study, do we really get, do we really understand what Jesus is doing here? You see, I think we talked about glory last week. And I think it's easier for us to pervert the idea of glory into power, an earthly power, a worldly power, power that's exerted over, power, power that's enforced by violence or coercion, power that centers itself in a persona for a very specific reason. It's manipulative, it's coercive, it's transactional with them. And so we walk away and we hear these words, King Jesus, and then we come back to this thing. And he says, after these things, after these things, well, what were the things? Well, the, the next thing that happened is he was betrayed. He was given over, then he was crucified, and then he was buried, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended, and then we had the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then we had the establishment of the church, and again, after all these things, I don't think it's just the things that were there in Jesus that he did that night in the upper room, or even his betrayal, or even crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. I think after all these things is after all these things. Every generation gets more to add to that list of what the things are. And here we are 2,000 years after all these things, after all the things we've said, do we understand? Do we see what Jesus meant by humbling himself and taking on the form of a servant and washing one of his disciples' feet? I think that kind of thing takes, it takes an inspired imagination to understand what it is. I think these things help us see that Jesus is not, is not like a bad king. He's not like a good king compared to a bad king. He's like no other king before. He's a very different kind of king with that. Jesus is the ultimate consummation of the Exodus deliverance story. He is the thing, even though the people of Israel couldn't really verbalize it or, or imagine it, Jesus is what they were being drawn out for. We are what? Jesus is what we are being drawn out for in these things. people of Israel had to be delivered through slavery, through the wilderness, through the and through the temple, and even into the promised land to find it, to find him. And yet it didn't stop there. It kept going. And living into this is no easy thing. In order to even have a chance, as I said, we've got to have our imagination changed around this. We need different expectations. And we need developing practice. So we were talking in the teaching team, what is something that you dreamt about, that you had an imagination about, 
And then when you actually saw the thing, it turned out to be very different than what you expected. Parenting, no doubt. The Alamo. The Alamo, if, if you've never been from Texas or you've never seen it, that is the most common thing. You'll see people literally in front of the Alamo going, I can't believe this is this small. I mean, it is. It's just it's a small thing, and you've watched the movies, and you've heard it all your life if you're in Texas at least. Um, and then you go actually see it. It's really disappointing. Yes, exactly. For me, it was uh, it was beaches. I grew up going to uh, the beach on the Gulf Coast of Mexico and Texas right after a Pemex oil spill. And I was like, why do people like the beach? This is terrible. You walk around, you get tar all over your feet. The water is warm. It's dirty. Like, this is gross. And then I finally went to a Florida beach, and I was like, wait a minute, this is a beach? Like, like this is, they ought to outlaw those beaches in Texas, not let them use the word. Anybody else? Something like that? Okay. Kind of dull, kind of a letdown. Well, these, these are easy things. Can you imagine... Can you imagine how all of us collectively as a human race have been so conditioned to think of kingship in terms of pageantry and power, coercion, us against them, symbolic of of our aspirations against other things with that. And Jesus comes in declaring himself king and being declared king. There is nothing like that. There's nothing like that at all. But it's not that he's not not a king. It's just he's not a kind of king that it's easy for us to imagine. I wish we had a better word or, or image, honestly. And we've played around with a lot of them, but, but there is no, like, there's no unused word. It's like every word we're, we're getting, we're having to get it from Potter's House or from Goodwill or something. There's no word that hasn't been used yet for something else that we can use for Jesus, so we kind of stick with king, but we have to reimagine what it is. I mean, it takes time. Look at, look at the disciples. You know, one of the things that's often commented as, we, as you go through the Gospels is how different the disciples are in Acts than they are in the Gospels, right? You see a lot of, you know, questions and bumbles and stumbles and things like that, and then they get to Acts, and they're like, yeah, let's go do this thing. I think that's because it takes time. It took time for them. Now imagine what, how long it takes for us. If it took time for them, the people that were actually with Jesus to get their imaginations changed with this. We understand also what the king is, as Jesus is, by looking at the Exodus narrative that we have. We see that everything in there was contra-empire. It was stood against. It, it was a prophetic witness against the imagination of how power should be wielded. Pharaoh stood for the pinnacle of kingship. Exodus is against that story, and it's against power being used manipulatively. It's it's about building this, this people together, creating a people from many different backgrounds together, not about weeding it, us versus them necessarily, with that. We have to have different expectations, that this, and this is what follows, is, well, if our imaginations change, then we start to have a whole lot of different expectations. 
um, once we begin to see things differently, we have to be, we have to redefine all those things. Like we have to redefine what it means to be blessed. We have to redefine what it means to have power or to rule ourselves, others, and the earth. And we have to have different ideas about who others are and what change involves. I've been thinking a lot about, I know we just got through Thanksgiving, and, and that's usually a cliche for, you know, Uncle Ted who comes to the kitchen table with strange ideas or, you know, backwards views or comments and things. You know, there's all kinds of memes and stories told about family conflict around that. But I've really been thinking as a nation, you know, we're, we're, at this, we're at this kitchen table and everybody's throwing food at each other. No one can listen to one another. Everybody's arguing with one another. And I think that's so much is that expectation. So much is diff- people with very differing expectations about what the future should be, what the present should be with that. As Christians, I think, we are supposed to set and manage our expectations based on this idea. Now, again, this can get this can, this is a lot of work. I'm talking about this is not one thing you just walk away and do. But this idea, our expectations. What do we really expect from the world? What do we really expect from government, from politics? What do we really expect from the economy? What are we setting our hopes on? How are we doing that? And I think as we examine those expectations and we set a different kind of expectation. Um, just one personally I've been dealing with, it's like, why should I expect people, this, this is going to sound really basic, y'all. So, but it's like, why should I expect people to appreciate what I do? Like, there's a cultural expectation tied with position and things like that. I'm like, why Why should I expect anyone to appreciate what I do? And I'm talking specifically in the context of, of you know, being someone who's public forward in this church with what we're trying to do, with who we're trying to be. We all know, those of us that are here, you know, what that's cost us in relationships, what that's cost us in, in you know, cultural cachet within the Christian community here. And I was and I was thinking recently, you know, I was feeling bad about it, and I was just thinking about the things that you know I'd lost. And then I had the expectation, of, well, why should I expect anything different? The the message of Jesus is fundamentally against the messages of the world. I mean, this is this is something that I don't know exactly how to say it. <clears throat> we can romanticize it. You know, we can romanticize being that prophetic voice. We can romanticize being that one who's fighting for social justice. Man, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to be the ones who are true to this thing. The reality is it's just very mundane. It's very, it puts you in conflict. People don't know how to treat you. They don't know what to do with you. Their expectations are very different and so you're just, you're either quickly dismissed or you're demonized or you're forgotten or you just moved on from it. And I think that's kind of what we should expect, or at least what I should expect. I don't know. I'm still working on this. I just know that we have to change what we expect from the world, what we expect from God, what we expect from each other. 
You know, I, I find myself more and more, uh, like I said when I prayed when I started, just appreciating being thankful for everyone here and everything you bring to this place. It's also interesting when we talk about Jesus as king that that's not the only word, right? We talk, we talk about Jesus as friend, teacher, savior, Lord, way, presence, Messiah, bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life, the gate, the shepherd, the vine, the vinegar. It's exhausting. That's the thing that I love. One of the things that I love so much about teaching is I ne- there's no way to run out of material, y'all. Like, it's just, it, we're not going to get to the, if I get up here one Sunday and go, you know what, I've done it. Mark signed off on me. I've covered it all. <clears throat> every single topic, I've thoroughly and comprehensively covered every single thing there is to know about Jesus, God, the church. So you're all good. You can all go home. You know, that will be, a, you'll know what to do with me that day. <clears throat> so in addition to this um, divine imagination and to these um, changed expectations, those, again, those do don't just happen overnight. We have to practice. We have to have a developing practice with that. I came across a quote that said, obedience is our is for our formation towards a goal we can't fully comprehend. Obedience is for our formation towards a goal we fully can't fully comprehend. And we've talked a lot about this at Grace, is how the, the traditional way of learning is listen, obey, and understand, maybe. Whereas the, the modern way of thinking is listen, understand and obey, maybe. But these, these practices are their acts of obedience. We're responding to an invitation. We're responding to a command as well to have these things formed. And we can't fully understand what that's going to be. And so <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why we immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus and the church, adopting the calendar. on an, it's, it's like we're taking the annual pilgrimage through the story. Every year we walk the route again. And every year we see something different. Every year we take the trip again. And every year the trip is different. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar with it. But no Thanksgiving. There's no two Thanksgivings that have been the same. They've changed every time you've gone through there. So same with what we do with the liturgical calendars. This annual pilgrimage where we're going to find new stuff and old familiar things with that. Speaking of that, next Sunday is the start of Advent. Logan and the kids are going to kick us off. It is super exciting. I hope, we've done this before and we'll do it in our learning guide this week. But find something to study specifically for Advent. There's so many good resources out there. Um, For years now, we've followed the uh, Christian Center for Creative Arts out of Biola University. They do a daily email that combines poetry and music and art for an Advent reflection. It's a great thing. Um, some magnificent art there. and some You'll get turned on some good music. And, um, but there's, there's, tons of group, there's tons of things to read. And there's also a lot of practices for Advent. Advent, in a lot of ways, is like Lent. It is about expectation, creating expectation. So historically, people have given things up in anticipation of Advent as a way of creating and fostering longing towards Christmas with them. Um, Part of these practices also is just to lean into the community of this church. 
I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road. The, I was meeting with someone talking about church, and I said, it's just, like, this is where, this is where you get to practice it. This is where we put it into practice. It's easy to think about ourselves um, very differently when we're all alone, just with ourselves, our own estimation. But when we're in a group, we're having to practice that in the community. It's very different. And he asked me why I go to church. And, and I said, well, I said, because everybody needs community, right? We all need community. Communities, all kinds of communities out there. You can have your pickleball community. You can have your book club. You can have your yoga class. You can have these different things. And I said, I want to be, I want the center of my community be a, be a bunch of people that are okay with me asking the questions I ask. And they're asking the similar questions. Like, like that's what I, who I want to be in community with, is people that are okay with these kind of questions. They're okay taking this stuff seriously. I mean, if nothing else, church ought to be the place where we take these ideas, these images, these thoughts, these practices of God seriously. I grew up kind of in, a, in probably the last of the generation that felt like it had to go to church, that there was a cultural expectation on that. That's gone, y'all. You don't have to go to church. You're not going to lose your job. You're not going to get denied credit. You're not going to miss the promotion. You're not going to be made fun of. You don't, you don't have to go to church. So if we don't have to, if we're choosing to be here, let's take this seriously. Let's not waste it. Let's make these practices intentional. Let's learn how to sacrificially give and receive. Let's learn how to know others and be known as we truly are. And let's learn how to bear witness to the reality of God's kingdom in undeniable ways. Now, I told you, Christ the King Sunday is a relatively new mark on the calendar. This, it was started by Pope Pius XI, and he started it in 1925 to remind Christians that their allegiance was to their spiritual ruler in heaven as opposed to earthly supremacy, which was claimed by Benito, Benito Mussolini. Yeah. So 1925, fascism is on the rise in Europe. Benito Mussolini comes up, claims to be emperor. He, he actually took the title of emperor again. And he claimed to have all earthly authority. Pope Pius, there in Vatican City, looked at this and saw what was happening. That there was a, there was a form of Christian nationalism rising up. People were ascribing not just political power, but divine power, because that role of Caesar is carried divine connotations. And the Pope, sitting there in Vatican City, said, um, we need to remind people that there is a king who Christians owe their allegiance to that is not an earthly ruler and never will be. Sound familiar? I mean, is there, any, is there any Sunday that we need to embrace more as Christians than this one right now in our culture? 
where political, economic, all kinds of figures in entertainment are claiming to be it, claiming to have that power that is worthy of allegiance and affection and affiliation. Like, this is a radically subversive holiday to the powers of the world. And and remember when I said, I, I think it takes us a long time to understand these things, when Jesus said, you don't understand it now, but you'll understand later. Like, I think I can see Pope Pius. I don't know anything about Pope Pius, but in my imagination, he's there. <clears throat> he's in Vatican City, and he reads John 13, and he reads about this, and he goes, I think I understand this. I think I understand that it can't be allegiance to Mussolini and to Jesus. Like, I think, like, aha, I think I get it. Y'all, we, we can have that same aha right now. We can have that same divine imagination. <clears throat> we can look around and assess all these things that are clamoring for our allegiance, clamoring for our worship, clamoring for, if nothing else, just to, just to shut up and obey. Just keep your head down. Don't make any noise. And you'll be okay. Like, no. Just no. I don't care what the expectation is. Just no. We, we can't do that. We can't sit idly by and not proclaim Jesus as king <clears throat> as opposed to the earthly aspirations of people using God's name especially in their appeal for allegiance and affection. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. <clears throat> the proclamation of Jesus as king in our lives and church isn't so much a pledge of allegiance, although it is that, as a commitment to obedience a promise of loving trust, a submission to a formative way of being in the world. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. <clears throat> this is how I'm going to orient my life. This, this is how, I'm just speaking for me, this is how I want to orient my life. Where I'm going to place my affection, my allegiance, my affiliation, it's the lens through which I'm going to interpret my existence. Is this understanding of Jesus as king? My val it'll be my value system <clears throat> that I'm going to use in determining my decisions. Jesus redefines what it means to be king, likewise redefines what it means for us to be part of his kingdom. This is no longer based on nationality, race, geography, any of the things that divide us. But instead, we are all made one and thus meant to include everyone. This is what part of leads us to invite people to belong here with us. Not to us, but with us. Our imagination around the absolute expansiveness of Jesus' kingdom leads us to practice radical welcoming, inviting everyone to belong without precondition. This practice helps form us into who we believe we are supposed to become, the people of the Prince of Peace, the ultimate welcoming. One of the things that we practice also here is communion, an open communion. It's the idea that everyone is welcome at the table. No pre-qualifications, no preconditions. Jesus welcomes everyone. His kingdom is like that. 
This is what his kingdom is like. One more metaphor. One more demonstration. It is a welcoming table. A place where everything that is needed, everything that is necessary has been provided and it is offered without cost. Imagine. Everything that is necessary offered without cost, freely. We are invited to come. And we need to remind ourselves by this regular practice. So let's do that now. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.